Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. I'm your host, Bill Sickens. Joining me, Jeremy and Gretchen Winkler. Hello. Hi there. So I've got another week going ahead here, and uh, I hear it's hot down there. Yeah. Ever so slightly. And you know, there's a lot of other places that are sweltering under the sun this week. Yeah, we we have a lot of a lot of that going on. Up here in Oregon, we're kind of lucky. It's going to be in the 80s this week. And everybody I've said that that's kind of warm has said some things that I can't repeat on the air. And yeah. the reason for that is because everywhere else, it's like 100 plus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If we have any <laughs> European uh, listeners, they're probably saying a few words to you. Yeah, I know. But in fact, our, our reporter, Yavora, who is in Bulgaria, was talking about that. And I was talking to a friend of mine in the UK, and apparently the tarmac on some runway was melting at an airport. It was so hot. Yep. Um, <laughs> wow. So, yeah, I, uh, uh, I'm quite happy that we're not having to deal with that up here. But later in the show, we're going to be talking about one of the side effects that this is creating in a lot of places, and that's the lack of water. And some technology they're using to maybe deal with this process. In fact, that was our Tech Wednesday this week. We're going to be diving into a little bit because some of the places, especially those served by the Colorado River, the Lake Mead as an example is is the lowest I think it's ever been. And this is a huge problem being that that's the water reservoir for Arizona, Las Vegas, Los Angeles. Uh, you know, <laughs> so yeah, it's, pretty it's bad. a problem. Yeah. It's one that we're going to have to come up with a solution to. So we're going to be d- diving into that, looking at some other things. Uh, crypto winter is still happening, and we've had some questions in on that, and uh, it's now being termed crypto hell. So <laughs> we're going to talk about that a little bit and see where that might end up, uh, if anywhere. Uh, and we also have an artist that's coming on. She's local here in Oregon, does some absolutely phenomenal work. Gretchen and I are going to be interviewing her in a little later in the show, too. So what do we have in the news this week? U.S. consumers pay 1600 annually for cable TV channels they don't watch. I'm not surprised. You know, this, I'm not either. This is something that I have complained about. We've been doing this show since 2013. Uh, this is actually our 10th year. And I think in 2013, I talked about this, that you had to buy cable service. And at that time, it cost $70 a month. Now it's more like 150 in some places. Uh-huh. And you're forced to buy all these channels that you may or may not use. And this study came out, and it talks about this in quite a bit of detail, and that you really only use about 15 of the channels you pay for on those type of services. Now, a while back, they did a push for something they called a la carte TV channels, where you could buy them individually, but they never did this. Because what happens is the channels that are on there that don't make money get subsidized and paid for by the ones that do, and therefore you're forced to have them all, even if you don't want them. Now, with the day of streaming over the internet, over the top television services, this has gotten a little bit better, but even some of those are forcing you to buy all of these different things. I use a service called Philo. When I subscribed to it, it was 20 bucks a month. It's gone up to 25 but I don't use the sports channels as a for example, so it's a great service for me. So it is worth checking out there and finding some ways to maybe cut the cord and find something else that might fit you a little bit better. Hmm. San Diego Comic-Con is back. Yeah, and if you hurry and you're down there, you can still catch tomorrow. It closes tomorrow. I, I don't know if you can get badges. Usually that's an issue. I haven't checked this year, but it is back in full force, and they've got some great things going on. 
And next week, we're going to be covering this a little bit and talk about what they had this year that was new and unusual. Hmm. The James Webb Space Telescope is capturing the universe on 68 gigabytes SSD. So first question that I asked when I saw this is why 68? Because that's kind of an unusual size. Yeah, that would be. Storage media is usually uh, done in multiples of eight, just because of all the way that works. 68 not being that, 64 would be the amount. But the other question they ask is you've got this advanced billion-dollar telescope with such a small memory capacity. And the reason for that is interesting, and it has to do with the fact that it's about a million miles away. So it has an area where there's a lot of space radiation and other things that it has to be hardened for. And the storage capacity of the device is one of those things that can get affected. So having a smaller drive in it and one that is easier to protect was part of the reason. The other part of it is, is that the telescope is digital, of course, and it transmits back twice a day everything it stores. So it actually doesn't need that much storage capacity, and this works just fine for what they're doing. Hmm. Stanford developed Millie Robot swims in your body and delivers medicine to places that need it. Yeah, I hear stuff like this, and I always think about Star Trek's Borg. You will be assimilated a whole bit with that. Oh, yeah, and nanobots. This, this kind of, you know, this kind of net technology is actually very interesting because used in a proper way, this is a good example of where it can go, a non-invasive way to be able to deliver medication and eventually maybe other things to parts of your body where it's needed that would reduce side effects and all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, I think be something very useful. The other side of it is I wouldn't be too worried. If there were true Borg, they really wouldn't want to assimilate most people. Nah, no. Scientists to use moon dust, 3D printers to build lunar settlement. Yeah, we've talked about 3D printers and some of the unique things that you can do with them. And this would be an approach that actually would make a lot of sense because you would be able to send the equipment up and not have to transport materials. And what they're talking about doing is melting the lunar dust to make it into a form of filament, and then using that to build the settlement buildings. That'd be kind of cool. So it's uh, uh, this is a thing called Moon Village, and huh. <laughs> uh, it's something that's been talked about a while. It's a partnership. Okay, all of a sudden uh, I'm hearing a police song called Walking on the Moon. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. You know, we'd, have to, uh, we'd have to deal with it. <laughs> So uh, the project has actually been done here on Earth as a prototype to see if it would work, and it did. The Hanover Laser Center and the Berlin Technical University have tried it successfully, both, of course, in Germany. And it is something that I could see would actually push a project like this ahead, because one of the big things is, is there's an immense cost to transport anything, that distance, of course. And if you could do something where you could construct based on materials that are already there, it would make a lot of sense. And it would be something that could save a lot of money and make this a lot more of a reality. So they're getting into where they're going to start testing flights with these devices and see if the laser will work in space that's used for it, uh, different things like that, and then take it to the next phase of actually maybe eventually launching something like this. Yeah, The mission to test it out is scheduled to launch in 2024, so two years from now. So it'll be exciting to see what happens with that. Hmm. Brain Computer Interface Startup implants first device in U.S. patients. Yeah, you know, again, talking about the whole Borg thing. Mm. Um, but again, this type of technology used in a proper methodology does make a lot of sense. The brain implants and the different things like that 
can be used to do things like control prosthetics. So if you had someone that was paralyzed, it could greatly improve their quality of life. You know, other things, maybe in a military idea, you could use it to attach to the net and do all of the classic cyborg stuff. But at the end of the day, the use of this type of thing in medical technology, I think, is something that we're going to see and see pretty soon. It actually does work. There's a lot of experiments that have been done with these type of things that can get around an injury, allow you to be able to walk where you couldn't before that type of a thing. It's able to pick up on your thoughts and be able to do different things with them which are quite incredible when you think about what the ability of that could create. Hmm. New type of semiconductor may advance low energy electronic. Yeah. And this is another step in the right direction on all of this. We uh, have a problem that a lot of the, well, pretty much all of the stuff we do that's quite cool with technology has an Achilles heel and that's energy use. And some of this is really over the top. We've talked about cryptocurrency and the amount of energy it uses to have the farms for all of that. But even just our computers and stuff, a certain percentage, I believe it's eight of the entire power grid's production is used to run our computers and and all of that type of stuff. And when you get smaller devices, one of the big things is, is they have to run off a battery and your batteries can go dead quite quickly in certain conditions. So coming up with a technology that's able to use low energy throughout certainly the uh, semiconductor component of it would advance this quite a bit where your same battery now, instead of maybe being a few hours, could be a day or even a week if you really did this right. And taking this a step further, things like electric vehicles and a lot of the other technology that we're looking at that's coming out using batteries would be something that would benefit because the more bang you could get for your buck, in other words, the longer the charge will last on the same batteries, the better the device can be. And at the end of the day, that can push us for further range, more adoption of green energy, all of that kind of stuff, and allow us to be able to contribute in a way that would make sense where right now it might be a barrier to entry. All right. So like I said, we got a great show coming up for you this week. We're looking at a number of different things that we are going to be covering. And I know you guys have a movie that we're going to be talking about at the end, as we normally do, that sounded kind of interesting. So I will leave it at that for that. We'll let you know what it is when we get to that point. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. We were talking in our opening today about it's hot in a lot of places. And along with this, we have to look at using some different methodology for things like water, power, all of that, because it is starting to become a problem. Now, I lived down in Las Vegas for about two years, and right next to Las Vegas is Lake Mead, which is a huge reservoir. Uh, At the time, was a big recreation area uh, behind the Hoover Dam. And it provides water to a number of different places downstream, including places in Arizona, Las Vegas, of course, Los Angeles, and so on. And this year, it's the lowest level it's ever been. And it's due to a prolonged drought in the area there, where they're having a situation. They knew this was coming, so they actually built a new water inlet that was lower, because the ones that were built originally with the dam can no longer be used because they're in the air at this point. But the Hmm. problem is, is that's a temporary fix. And unless more water comes into the watershed over there, it's eventually going to get to a point where this will no longer be feasible. And we do have 
a huge body of water up and down the West Coast. The problem is it's full of salt. (laughs) And, you know, the Pacific Ocean, really any ocean, has that limitation. And this has always been the case. You are out on it. You can sit there and there's water all around you, but you can still die from not having water. And there seems like with technology, there should be a way to fix this. And there is. The problem is it's just very expensive to do. Now, Santa Barbara has been doing this for a while. They've created a desalinization plant. It was originally put together a few years ago. And the problem was that the cost to run it was so inviolable that they decommissioned it afterwards for a little while. So it was originally done in the response to the drought of the late 80s, cost $34 million to put it together, and it was complete in 1992. So it was run for a few years, shut down. Well, it's back online now. And in fact, they're talking about upgrading it because of these type of things. And this type of technology actually does work quite well. It's providing about a third of the water in the Santa Barbara area now. So it does do its job. And there's some talk about expanding on this idea. Another project, which is the largest project that is in the works, is in San Diego County in Carlsbad. And it's a project that's a $922 million, and it would put together a way to be able to get water into their area dependably. But again, it's going to cost a lot of money to run. So it does run up the cost of your water bill, but on the same token, you have water. So it comes down to which one is more important, you know. And some of the other things that are going along with this, Las Vegas is a very different place, I think, now than we remember. We'd have to talk to Chaz about this. But they're passing laws that no longer allow for things like ornamental grass. So Jeremy and Gretchen, all the neighborhoods we used to drive through that was like this oasis or forest, that's all going away. Of course. No longer allowed. In fact, the ornamental grass in those areas is having to be removed to conserve water. I was going to say, they could replace it with fake grass. I mean, that exists. Yeah, fake fake grass or uh, zero-scape like rocks, that kind of thing. Yeah. In fact... There is an interesting kind of footnote on that, that there's an animal hospital type scenario that they have grass out in front of their office for dogs to be able to use for a bathroom, that kind of a thing. And they're having to go through a one somewhat uh, involved permitting process to see if they are even going to be able to keep that. Wow. But at the end of the day, no water is a problem. And I know in Las Vegas, Arizona's like this, and Los Angeles is certainly like this, all of the backyard pools. And everything else takes a lot of water to run. So it's going to be interesting to see where this is going. One of the other areas, too, is the production of power, because this is a little less of a side effect, but it is one that absolutely exists. Things like the Hoover Dam, if that becomes inoperational and the power produced from that dam is no longer available, it has to be replaced somehow. And we're already seeing... They actually had an explosion at the, uh, the Hoover Dam. Yeah, I heard something about that, and yeah, it is it is definitely a problem, and one that's probably going to get worse unless we all of a sudden have a great rainstorm or something to refill all of this. It is a idea that's just not going to be available anymore. So we've been looking at things. They have solar panels and all that kind of stuff, and at wind energy and alternative resources. And you know, we've talked about this in the past, but the, there are problems with these things. It's new technology. A solar panel is an example, a classic one, will produce electricity and augment. The power grid, they don't work, of course, as well at night, although there's some technology being able to do that. But one of the big things in the state of California is having to deal with this now 
is what to do with the waste. These things have a certain time period that they can last, and there's no method that's feasible to recycle them right now, so they're all ending up in landfills. And solar panels contain a lot of heavy metals and that type of thing, so that's kind of bad. So unique technology that's coming out of that is this idea of an algae biopanel window. Hmm. So this could go on the roof or it can be used in your window. It does have a green tint to it because it contains algae, but it will create oxygen. It will actually suck up CO2 as well, which is kind of nice. And these ideas are out there. You know, they're in their their beginning of, of existence. But if it could be something that could be produced to be made viable, that would be the case. Now, the other thing that we've talked about is electric vehicles, and we've talked about that a lot in the past on the show. They're starting to have some technology with all of that to be able to recycle the batteries. It's still not at scale, and most of the EV batteries are still ending up in a landfill. And if you need to replace your batteries, a lot of times it will cost more than the car to do that. So now the whole car ends up being taken off the road and trashed. Plus, you still do have a bit of a carbon footprint because that has to charge off of the power grid. And the power grids are becoming less dependable because of the heat. We're having blackouts, brownouts, all that kind of stuff, and shutdowns due to wildfires. So this is all stuff that kind of, you know, plays into itself and uh, are some things I think we're going to need to look at getting solutions to on down the road. I don't know, any, anybody from our team, are any of us thinking about buying an electric vehicle at this point? God, no. I I was, but uh, it's still out of the range of what I can actually afford to do. But uh, hybrid yeah. was something I was looking at. I would, I would be interested in hybrid. Use less gas, do a combination, because I just don't, yeah. So hybrid you-, you guys are looking at. And uh, Bill, I know your reaction to that was not just no, but hell no. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> uh- okay, okay. I live in Nevada. It is hundreds of miles between towns which means there's yeah. hundreds of miles between chargers to right. get from where I live now to my parents' place is the charge limit of a Tesla. So right. Right. I get there, I would have to wait two hours for my car to recharge, even on the, sp- the speed chargers or whatever, before I can come back. Right. And there are places that are way farther distance than that. Okay. Yes. Oh yeah. So I think, it, oh, I think yeah. it plays into a lot of, uh, the idea of what you're using the vehicle for. If you're doing short stops around town, it might work better. The other problem is, is a lot of the chargers are having problems. They don't always work, and you don't know that they don't work until you get there. This has been a big complaint of EV users, and that's a problem if your battery's dead, and then you can't get the vehicle to somewhere else that does work to actually be able to charge it. So there's a lot of things dealing with the technology that I think still has to be straightened out, and it may get there. But alternative energy, again, is in the beginning of all this stuff. It's kind of fun to see what they're coming up with. But hopefully they can develop something that's dependable and reliable a little bit faster to be able to deal with some of these problems. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We've been talking about this a bit in the past, and that's the whole thing dealing with cryptocurrency or crypto crash, crypto winter, as it's being called now. Now, (laughs) as we're recording, we do our segments a couple of days before we air, so this might change a lot between now and when you hear this. 
but it is rallying a little bit today. Uh, Bitcoin's back up to 24,000, but uh, that's still less than half of the 64,000 it was about six months ago. And I know when we've talked about this in the past, I've said, you know, if you want to invest in crypto, that's fine, but use the same money that you would use for the slot machine in Las Vegas. And that seems to be proving to be the case here. And what we're seeing is actually kind of a very interesting side of this, that a lot of the crypto wallet companies are filing bankruptcy. Hmm. And listener questions that have come in on this front are related to the fact that they have crypto, it's stored or invested through one of these services, and now they can't access it. And because there's very little regulation, there's not a whole lot you can do. So if you have crypto in a wallet or a company investment company that goes out of business, files bankruptcy, or even just simply freezes it, all of a sudden you can't get to your currency anymore. And this is a problem. And it's not, it's a problem that I'm not surprised about. No, I'm not either. I I thought there was a little bit more regulation, but I I don't know that there's any regulation. Is there? There's a little, there's starting to be a little bit, but it's not anywhere near. If you were to put money into an investment account, I'm going to pick on them, even though this is nothing against TD Ameritrade and they're not filing for bankruptcy. In fact, they're one of the best online investment companies I've ever worked with. But let's say you have a stock portfolio through TT Ameritrade and they have a bad day and they freeze your ability to cash in and cash out. There's a whole slew of regulation that provides for the ability to get to your investment portfolio through another company or another way, and you don't lose your funds. With crypto, that isn't the case. And all of a sudden, it creates a huge problem. And with a valuation originally being in the three to four trillion dollar range of crypto and now being under <laughs> one trillion. I think we just had a trillion again, but wow. That's created a huge problem for these companies, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. See, I kind of look at this stuff as being like donuts from the Simpsons. You put you use hard cash that you you can actually buy things with. You buy these donuts and then you can buy fake stuff on the Simpsons. Well if you all of a sudden decide you don't want to play the Simpsons anymore you're not going to get a refund of those donuts. Those donuts just sit there and you're stuck with it. So is that, well, it, is that real? I mean, I mean, is, is, is that a good explanation? Well, crypto kind of started out for that purpose, for one thing. So it's spot on. Okay. But to take, take that a step further, there used to be a game based on SimCity on Facebook back in the days of Facebook games. And they had the same mm-hmm. type of thing. They sold a premium currency that you bought. And one day, all of a sudden, they say, well, we're going to stop doing this game. It's going away. But we are not refunding the money you put into it. And if you don't, they were called diamonds. If you don't use your diamonds, you're just out of luck. Wow. Ouch. So uh, now, Bill, I know that you were talking about before we started recording today, a, a metal credit card. Oh, it was a YouTube uh, ad that we used to see all the time. That was, uh, power, you know, it was something like powered by crypto and money of the future and, you know, metal credit card. And it, it was just the most ridiculous thing because... <laughs> You know, it, it kind of comes back to just like things like are put out like this by companies like, uh, you know, Celsius Network and stuff, which halted, it, pl- tried to act as a crypto bank without being a bank. But then they had to halt withdrawals because their valuation and all that with uh, this currency translation called Ethereum, which is kind of like gold in a way, theory where it actually has a backing directly to money. You know, like each one is set at a certain thing and regulated, but I, it, it's all just a mess to get into. 
in such a short amount of time. Yeah, um, and again, it's the it's the lack of regulation, and you know this has cost people a lot of money. So the other thing too, before the whole value started disappearing on this stuff, is the idea that if your crypto got stolen, there wasn't really a way to get it back. So like if your credit card number gets out there and someone runs it up to the limit, there's usually an insurance. You call the bank, you deal with it. It's a hassle. But at the end of the day, you're not out anything. And with crypto, the idea of getting it back is is very unlikely, you know? So even in its good days, it had trouble with that. And now we're dealing with, with, like Bill said, the lack of regulation and the idea of these crypto banks having none. So I don't know. I would suggest that if you really want a metal credit card, maybe look at something like the titanium card from Apple, which I still think is ridiculous, but at least it's a real credit card and it's not going to uh, <laughs> disappear on you like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so, a bit. you know. But we'll keep tracking about this and see what's going to go ahead in the future here and if it's going to come back or drop or whatever the case may be. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We've got a very interesting segment coming up for you. Our guest here is a local fine artist, uh, Darla. Darla, I'm not even going to attempt this. How do you pronounce your last name? Bojack. Bojack. Okay. Hey, I could have attempted that. So I've <laughs> had a chance to look at some of your work, and it's absolutely amazing. When did you start painting? So I began in 2004. So, and have you always been creative? I have. I Ever since I was a little kid, I've always enjoyed making things. Um, as I got older, I was crocheting and sewing and um, doing all sorts of projects. Um, so was it like family that encouraged you? Not really. <laughs> so it just came bored. from you. <laughs> yeah, pretty much as a kid. Um, but I didn't know I could paint. Um, so, yeah. Now, did you start out as a, as a hobby or was this something you always wanted to do professionally? I honestly had no clue I wanted to do this. I was just a single, not a single mom, but I was a, a stay-at-home mom and um, raising my daughter. I didn't realize that um, I had, you know, actually I was searching for a new direction in my life, like, you right. know, something to do. My husband and I had talked about me getting a job and... Um, I ended up at our group. We had a small group at church and um, there was a group of ladies there. One of them was an artist. And um, at those things, they actually, when you go to the group and everything, they always say, well, do you have a prayer request? And mine was always, you know, yeah, help me figure out, you know, what direction I'm supposed to be taking in my life. Anyway, um, I started noticing the artist and I said to her, you know, what does it take to make those paintings? And um, she said, why don't you come over? You can come over and paint at my home studio. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And then I just forgot about it. And like a year later, I ended up going over there and um, she had me sit at one end of her studio and she was at the other end. And she um, would just come over and look over my shoulder as I was attempting painting. And she had me paint from this book that was an artist that, you know, an accomplished artist that had all these landscapes that were really beautiful and so I tried to copy one of them which you know I wasn't going to do anything with I was just trying to do it and um when I finished it was just a nice landscape and I was like well I'm, I'm pretty good with that it's okay 
And um, she looks over my shoulder. She says, I think it needs a barn. And I mm-hmm. said, I don't, do, I, I don't do barns, you know, cause I didn't know how. And right. um, yeah. And she said, try. So I did. And, you know, it turned out okay. I was like, well, that's all right. I think, and then I remembered grandma loves barns. So I'm going to give this painting to grandma and I was going to send it to her. But when I contacted grandpa, I found out she was in hospice. Um, she had had a, like an accident and was in, it was like a quick thing. They were going to call us and we just hadn't been called yet. And um, so I sent it digitally and it hung over her bed in hospice for the last two weeks of her life. At her eulogy, like when I went to her eulogy, I drove there and got there about midnight. And my uncle, who'd helped me with a digital, getting the digital image hanging over her bed, he said, um, we're, we're preparing grandma's eulogy, you know. And my aunt pipes in and says, well, be sure and put in there that she always wanted to paint. And I was like, what? Because I didn't know my grandma wanted to paint. I had never had a clue. She, she didn't, you know, had never said anything to me. She was just grandma. Anyway, so... I ended up um, going back from like after the eulogy, going back home. And I remember my husband was sitting, he was out front setting off fireworks. And I remember thinking to myself, actually, I looked up and I just said, fine, I'm going to be an artist, you know, and that Mm -hmm. was in um, 2004. And so I deliberately, you know, painted on a regular basis and um, learned new techniques and Um, I finished a 16 by 20 and I remember I was going to donate it to my daughter's school and I showed my uncle who was, you know, an integral part of this whole thing. And he, he said, um, yeah, don't donate that. He goes, I want to buy it. He had showed my whole family in California. He was like, look at this thing she made, you know? So, um, he's like, I want to buy it and I'll pay you whatever price you want. And I thought, huh, what is a price for a 16 by 20? I looked up the price and I thought, well, okay, 400 bucks. And he goes, I've paid more for Jaclay's. And I thought, well, I probably should. <laughs> so she said more maybe, but. Um, right. <laughs> um, That's a good so, place to start. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So that was in 2005. So that's when I became a professional artist. Um, and from then on, I have just been painting and learning new techniques. And then later, after that, I had um, teachers in my daughter's school asking me to come paint and teach the kids how to paint. And I had people asking me to teach their kids how to paint. And so I began teaching. And um, I think all the while, what was pushing me forward was uh, grandma wanting to paint, but never knowing you know, how to start. I think that really bothered me that she never knew how to start. you know. So it really pushed me forward as, a, as an instructor as well. So. So speaking of that, which I know you've mentioned in your resume that you do uh, teach, and I'm going to go ahead and jump to this question. What do you enjoy about teaching art? I love helping to change people's um, perspective, um, help them to believe they can paint. Um, because that, a lot of that, that's a lot of what's holding them back. Uh, you can show them a technique, but if they don't think they can do it, you know, they're not going to have much success. Right. They got to get yeah. to that point where they're willing to try and just right. do it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You know, it would definitely seem like confidence is a big deal in this type of uh, type of thing, because you're really creating something from nothing. It's a beautiful thing to be able to do. 
And to, I've always had such a great deal of respect for artists because I'm not one myself. I know what I like to look at. And I look at the material that you have, which I think is absolutely beautiful. But I also know that if I sat down myself and attempted to create something like that, I, I don't know where I ended up. But it sounds like you might be the person that would be able to help someone like me be able to learn or at least discover if you've got the gene to be able to do this. So, <laughs> so I, I understand you're going to be, you're going to be teaching out of your home studio again this year right. and this fall with a limited number of students. And uh, we're going to be posting your social media and your website up on ours. So if anybody's interested in that, please check it out there. And if nothing else, take a look at the website, Darla's website. It is just, just amazing. This is user-friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Great show this week. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I sometimes I think I say that every week, but it's a great show pretty much every week, usually. <laughs> <laughs> we try. We try. So yeah. I love being able to talk to local artists. And Gretchen, I know this is an area that uh, you, well, all of you are really artists. I'm the only one here that's not. Yeah. So because well, yeah. um, all three but, of us are artists. And so, Jeremy, myself, Bill, and Bill I know you, you, have, you have amazing art. And Jeremy, you're more on the commercial end of things, too. And what you do is amazing. And my uh, what I bring to the table on art is I look at it and know what I like. But <laughs> well, <yeah. laughs> my ability to draw a straight line just isn't there. So I, I appreciate those that have the talent. So it's it's really cool hearing about all of these these different type of things. And uh, it was fun being able to uh, to talk to her. All right. So movie this week. We teased this a little bit in the beginning. What are we talking about? Something about Hollywood. Okay, so let me first preface this. This is a 2019 film, and I just wanted to get out of the heat, so grab, you know, made myself comfortable, found a movie, and this sounded intriguing. It, you know, it was like, okay, once upon a time in Hollywood, and then I'm like looking at it going, oh my God, it's Quentin Tarantino, and I usually don't like his films, okay? Because they're usually ultra-violent, and I'm not into that. <laughs> but then I read oh, it's about like an old cowboy star and his buddy stuntman and th how they're trying to make their way, you know, and survive in Hollywood's, you know, craziness. And it's set in the 1960s. Uh, I think it's 1969 specifically. Mm -hmm. And it slowly reveals itself. It's, uh, the, the people who are playing the characters, the main characters are like Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Brad Pitt, Margaret Robbie. And so these are just some of the, you know, I like, I like the actors. So I thought, okay, I'll give this a shot. And I'm watching this and I'm going, oh my God, this is the time when the, 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 the Manson family murdered those people. And I'm like, oh no, this is going to be awful. You know, and I'm watching it slowly unfold and, and the, and the acting, it was done really well. And the storytelling was done really well. It kind of draws you in. And, but there's that thing in the back of your mind, if you know, what happened to like Sharon Tate and her friends? Um, it's like really horrible. Well, there's an interesting twist at the end. <laughs> it really will surprise you. Yep. And it surprise you. And it's almost satisfying in a strange sort of way because uh, what happened in real life was really horrible. 
And there's like this certain kind of feeling of twisted justice from this version. So I'll leave you like well, that. Well, it says once upon a time. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> so, is there, so that's interesting. I'll have to check it out. Where, where do you see it? Is it on Netflix or? Do yeah, we know? it was on Netflix. It was Netflix. Okay. Yeah, it was Netflix. All right. If not, we'll find it. All right. Well, check it out. And until next week, this is User Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2022. User Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. The views and opinions on this show are those of the host and not necessarily those of the User Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensed by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at UserFriendlyNation.com, TheAnswerPortland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.